Grab your Bibles out. Grab a seat. I'm going to swallow my chewing gum so that I don't spit into the microphone any longer. Uh, and uh, we'll get into it. Is that all right? If you do have your Bible, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to actually grab my Bible because that's going to make it less awkward. Because uh, we're going to read a few verses of the Bible. I'm not going to grab my Bible because it's the wrong version. That'll make it even real awkward. Um, Jack's going to throw the Scripture up on the screen. Let's read this together, and then I've got a bunch of ideas I want to share. And um, I'm really launching into a bit of a new thought for the next. It's probably going to be, I'll be looking ahead in in, um, my preaching. Um, I'm probably going to be preaching into the middle of August about this idea that I've got. Uh, And I pray that you're excited by by the end of the sermon. If not already, you're like, oh, till the middle of August. Uh, We've got, because we have uh, some other guests uh, coming. So it sort of spreads my series out to the middle of August. Uh, And we'll start from Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Is that all right? Verse one and two is just Paul saying hello to the Ephesians. And uh, so we'll just start with number three. It says this, I'll read it in my best reading voice. Uh, If you read along in your Bible as well, uh, we're going to read 14 verses. I want you to have a look and see if you can get as many of these words into your head or into your heart as we read. Is that all right? I think this is some of the most inspiring writing in humanity. Right? I, I actually think Paul, the Apostle Paul, is probably, we know that he was inspired by God, but he's probably the most inspiring author in history. Just read Romans 8 this afternoon if you don't believe me. Uh, and this is one of his great pieces of just great literature. But we know it's more than that, don't we? God actually speaks into this, uh, speaks into our hearts through it. Amen? Here it goes. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and his grace, uh, and in grace, sorry, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God because He chose us in advance and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, that's Paul saying this, Paul and the Jews, who were the first to trust in Jesus, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The last verse now, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us 
to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Isn't that a great piece of writing? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Do you know, um, there's uh, a phrase that I use, uh, I used to use more often than I do now, and maybe you use this phrase. Um, how many of you know that in English, there's, um, there's some words that can be used with great economy because they can be used to mean all sorts of different things. Uh, and this is a phrase like that. It can be used with great economy. Uh, economy. You know, when someone tells you a story that's hilarious, you can say this to them. Uh, if someone tells you a story that's just disgusting, you can say this to them. If someone tells you a story that's actually impossible to believe, you can say this to them. If someone tells you something that's super impressive, something that they did that was super impressive, you can say this to them. So when someone tells you the story, you just say this, for real? <laughs> that's awesome because it's just two words, but it can be used in response to almost anything anyone says. For real, for real, for real, for real. Uh, either way, just depending on how you inflect it, depending on what, uh, what, uh, what tone of voice you use, depending on what gestures you use, your facial expression, you can mean just about anything when you say, for real, for, for real. Uh, and if you're, if you're Luca, you'll follow it up, or if you're Harris, you'll follow it up with, that's too much, cuz. Um, but uh, you, have to, you have to go to university to, before you can use that. Uh, that's a whole nother level. Uh, is that all right? Do you know, this phrase, I reckon this phrase must have been on the lips of the ancient Ephesians as they were listening to this being read. Particularly if you read the whole letter, it, the whole letter through, Paul makes these statements, and the only possible response we can have is, for real? For real? Really? For real? Is this for real? Is this for real? Is this is some of those statements that, that Paul just makes in that first, uh, first chapter, the first half of that first chapter, it's actually mind-boggling. And it's actually mind-boggling. The, 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 the way he puts words together, that God has blessed us, isn't it great? Who's glad that they're blessed by God? But what about this? Paul doesn't say you're blessed by God. He says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So that's not like I'm blessed, but I have every possible blessing. That Everything that God can do for me, everything that God could possibly do for me, He's already done it for me. That's like, for real? For real, God? Is that really how the gospel works? And sometimes I think we've backed back from the power of the gospel because it's so hard to understand. So we reduce it down to make it something that makes sense to us, and in doing so, we lose its it loses its power. Because it's not supposed to be something for us to go, yes, that's correct, I understand that, and I've written it down. The gospel's actually supposed to be something that impacts our spirit and calls to life the things that God's put in there from long ago. It's not so, if you can understand it, you didn't get it. If you can write it down in just a few bullet points, you didn't actually hear what God was saying. He says things that are bigger than our words to put them in. They're bigger than our words that we can put them in, bigger than our framework, bigger than any illustration that a preacher could think of, right? Do you know what makes me, encourages me as a preacher, the reality is that, that, that God's awesome. God's so powerful. God's so awesome. But he actually prefers to introduce himself. That it's not really my job to sort of enunciate everything that who God is. Because actually what I do is I sort of get started in a sermon or you know, every, every sermon you've ever heard, every, every scripture you've ever read, every book you've ever read about Jesus. It's just the first part of an introduction. Now I'm praying today, I'm praying at some point in your life, I'm praying that maybe it's happened before, but I pray that it happens again and again. 
at some point in the middle of the sermon or at some point in the middle of the scripture as you read or at some point in the middle of that Christian book that you're reading, at some point I pray that God, God steps forward and that Jesus takes the microphone off whoever's speaking and says, I'll take it from here. Because Jesus actually wants to reveal his goodness and his grace directly to you. Jesus actually wants to reveal who he is to you, not, not via the preacher, directly to you. He doesn't want to relate to you just even via the pages of Scripture. He'll relate with you through them, but he wants to relate directly to you. That's the God that we serve. That was his plan. Everyone say, for real? For real, bro? Say it like that. Real high. Say it real high. Okay, if you're brave, give me a too much. Give me a too much. Oh, Alice, that's awesome. Asa grew up in Papakura, can you tell? Yeah, hard out. <laughs> Anyhow, even say a plan. My favorite part of Sesame Street is the, is the golden Anne. How many people like the golden Anne? Hey, Sam, take the gold. Here's the golden Anne. Take it to Stan and the tan van. <laughs> Okay, my favorite part of Sesame Street is a bit that you thought was just a waste of time, but it's actually the central part of the whole plot. I just love it, the plan, the stand in the tan van. Anyhow, some of you aren't rappers, but I am, so. The plan of God is, it, it, it's not something we can talk about in the next 30 minutes, but, but it's something we've got to get somewhere inside of us, that God, God, is, this, God is a plan. He's a planner. I was saying at Vision on Wednesday, I was saying, you know, it's awesome that I've got a vision and I think it's awesome that you've got a vision, but it's sort of irrelevant unless we get a bit of an understanding of what God's vision is, that actually God has a vision and our vision is really just a, a pixel in God's 4K graphics vision of the world, right? We get to be a pixel in it and we get to, and, and the biggest thing you can possibly imagine is still, do you ever know what a pixel is? Do I need to get Duncan up here to explain this? No, everyone's aware. Uh, the biggest thing we could possibly see is just, is just a tiny part of what God wants to express in the world. Uh, even, even who we are as a whole church, equippers in Wellington, we're just, we're just a pixel of God's plan for the city. And we've got to be on point and we've got to shine bright and we've got to know what we're doing to create the picture in our city that every church and every Christian re reveals God to our city. Amen. We've got to embrace, we've got to embrace the reality that God's got this plan and it's glorious. It's powerful. It's massive. Um, he wants to introduce his plan to us. You know, God's plan starts like this, long ago. Long ago. Every good story starts like that, though, eh? Long, long ago in a galaxy. Far. <laughs> that was just for you, Duncan. Doesn't a good story start like that long, long ago? Every good story's got this ancient beginning. And the story of God, the plan of God, this vision that God's got that, that includes your life was begun long ago. But not long, long ago like the 1980s. I'm talking long, long ago before he created the world. Before he created the stars. Before he created planets. Before he created the chaos that he then shaped into what we see today. Before he did that, he, the Bible says in, in, in Ephesians, we just read it, it says that he loved you. And he chose you. This is a for real plan. I think it's amazing that God could imagine me before he created the whole universe. Do you know when you, when you build a house, 
you begin, I'm sure, the design process of any design, of anything, it begins with what's the central thing. What's the central thing? Well, it's a house, so it's got to be, you know, is it a house for a family? Is it a house for a couple? Well, it's going to be designed entirely different than a factory for manufacturing beds. There's beds in the factory, and there's beds in the house. Surely they can be the same building. But you know, the, this whole house, the cosmos, has a central purpose, and that central purpose is that God wants to relate with humans in a relationship that's close. That's his central purpose. When he began creating, he already had this plan that he would love you and choose you to be blameless and spotless before him. I think it's amazing. I, I think it's, it's, it's one of the biggest things we ever get to think about is that God loves us, and that God is love. We can put it on a bumper sticker, and I think as soon as we do that, I'm sure, I'm sure we minimize the message that God is love, that before He creates anything else, He sees us, He loves us, and He chooses us. He chooses us to be part of His plan, to be part of what He's doing. Do you know, God's plan is this grace plan and this love plan, but it's a whole other level. You know, when we, can, when we think about the love of God, we, we think about it from earth up. And I think we think about every God thing, we think about it from earth up. So God's like, God's love, but He's God, right? So we think about love and we think about everything we know about love, everything we've experienced about love. So we might take our parents and we take other key relationships in our life. We take things that we've seen on the movies and we put it into this word love and then we project it big and we think God is a bigger version of everything I know about love. But it's not like that at all. Because we, we do the same thing with God. We, we think of power. And we think, well, everything we know about power and God, God's like a bigger version of all of it. But we miss the point. Paul says it like this. He says that the wisdom of, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. It's like, you know, when you go running, if you, you know, when you have a running race, if me, me and Dougal would have a running race, what, what I would do is I would take off and I would run as hard as I possibly could. It's a, it's a running race. Now, it's not, if it's a running race, then it's just, a, you know, you're just fooling around and you're not really committed. Then that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you have a running race against your friend. Right? If it's a stranger, you don't need, you don't need to beat them. But if it's a friend, you need to beat them. Right? And let's imagine, imagine, oh no, this is just for fun, but imagine Dougal was to win that running race. <laughs> let's say, for instance, let's say, for instance, two of my legs fell off. You know, and, uh, you know, and I was just having to walk on my hands. Uh, and then because of that, at the last meter, he managed to beat me. Uh, so let's imagine Dougal wins the race. What do I say? If, if I'm running the running race, I'll run as hard as I can. And then Dougal win. And then what will I say? I'll say, I was running my slowest. I, 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 was, I, was, I was running slowly. Do you know, that's what it's like. It, it, all of human power, all of the power of nature, is weakness when you compare it to God. All of human love is hatred in comparison to God's love. God's love is this thing beyond. Now we've got the we've got the we can smell it, we can we can get a sense of it, we can we can experience something of it because God's put eternity into the hearts of men. But it's it's glorious. That's why when we do the worship songs, we just stand there and we just go. 
for real? You know, if, we, if, if, if God wasn't God love, we'd have to do church different. We'd have to spread the chairs out just, so for, just for lightning safety so that, you know, depending on who's coming to church. Do you know what I mean? Don't sit next to Dougal, you know. Get struck by lightning and God's like, oh, there's a bit of collateral damage. Took out four rows. But God's not like that. But you know what? He should be. Shouldn't he? Well, what do we deserve from God? I don't know if we deserve to be able to stand in his presence here in a beautiful old hall and, and, and worship and experience not his wrath, not his anger, not his judgment, although we know he can do those. And he does them big time, right? He does big wrath. He does big anger. He does God-type wrath and God-type anger. But his plan was never for wrath and for judgment and for anger. His long-ago plan was to love us and to choose us. And he didn't just choose us. He chose to adopt us. Do you know, wouldn't it, it's great to go around to Dougal's house for, for lunch on Sunday, isn't it? But wouldn't it be even greater to be adopted into the family? Why? Because, you know, it's one thing to invite someone around to your house for lunch, isn't it? It's a different level of commitment to adopt them. But, but I think for most of my Christian life, I approach God like I'm going to his house for lunch. I take my shoes off at the door. I'm always on my best behavior. I always, at the end of it, I like to say, thank you very much, God, for having me. I particularly enjoyed... Uh, the forgiveness. The forgiveness was particularly enjoyable today. And then next week I go to God's house for lunch again and I, and I dress up nicely to go to God's house for lunch. And I go to God's house and I think, think at the end of it, I say, thanks for having me, God. I, I particularly enjoyed uh, the forgiveness again. It's actually, uh, it's actually a meal I enjoy often uh, when I'm visiting with God. Uh, but the reality is God doesn't want us to just visit Him, although that He likes to, us to visit. The reality is He's adopted us into a family. Which I think is amazing, isn't it? I think it's amazing. He's adopted us into a family. Now, just brace yourself, though. Because the most amazing words in this adoption bit in Ephesians 1 isn't the bit that says God's plan from long ago was to adopt us as his children. That's amazing. The most amazing bit is the next bit that says, and, and this gave him great pleasure. Do you know who's most excited about the fact that you've been forgiven, that you've been set free, that you've been washed white clean of your sin, and you've been brought near to God by the love of Christ and adopted into His family? Do you know who's the most excited about that? God is. He's more excited than you about the fact that you've been forgiven. He's more excited than you about the fact that you've been brought near. He's excited. He's pumped. It gave him great pleasure. He's been waiting for thousands of years for you to be born so that you could be accepted again. He was there at the youth event when you were 12 and you put your hand up. He know he was there. He was the person who grabbed you by the hand. He's, how many testimonies have you heard of people who had to come forward in an altar call? And they stood up and they didn't know what was happening. And suddenly the building was downhill. God's tipping the, the old scout hall up on its end to get people shuffling them to the front. Why? Because he's, he's pumped. He's excited. And it's not me making it up. It's in the Bible. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, that the Lord your God is living among you. He's living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He's a mighty Savior. 
He takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. The Hebrew, the picture language of the Hebrew is that God does cartwheels and laughs in heaven over you, over me. Now, I might not be very excited about me, but God is. You might not be all that thrilled about being you, but God's amazed. God's in wonder. God's in awe of you. Now, one of the hardest things to understand is this, this love of God, this God the Father, His love. It used to be easy for me to understand before I was a father. Because I experienced the love of my parents, and I was like, yeah, okay, so God loves me. Like, my parents love me. That's amazing. But then when you become a parent, and you love a child, it's very hard to believe that God feels that about me. That's a different level that it gives him great pleasure. I went running with my son Elliot on Tuesday night, and he beat me. And then I beat him. No. <laughs> I've, never, I've never been so happy losing a running race. I have lost a lot of running races. But what is it about, what is it about this love of God for us? I don't, you, I don't know what, how you feel when you get, you know, I, pray that, I pray that everyone has the joy of being a parent. If that's God's plan, I pray that it happens for you. It can't happen for everyone. But I, but I pray you get some insight that when I get home from work and Lucia comes screaming down the hallway and she grabs me and, and chokes me, it does something for me that she will never understand. Here's the thing. When you come into church and the guys are leading worship and you, and you lift your hands, it does something for God that you'll never understand. Do you know on a Sunday morning, imagine God's Sunday. The New Zealanders kick it off because we're the best. The Californians sort of finish it, and then the islands, they do their own thing They're either at the start of the day or the end of the day, they don't, they don't mind. But you imagine God's Sunday, the worship. Imagine, imagine as, as six o'clock rolls around the world and everyone's getting up for their quiet times. And the, the, do you know, imagine that for God. But you know, the thing about the love of God is that I, I have four children. God has, you know, sort of seven billion. <laughs> but the thing that's amazing about, you know, you have one child and you think, well, I couldn't love anything as much as I love this child. And then you have two children and you think, wow, I can. <laughs> well, you know, but no, no, no. You, as a parent, even a terrible parent, you don't have to go, oh, well, now I have to, a little bit less love for Maddie because I've got to give a little bit of love to Elliot. Do you know what I mean? But the, 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 the love is multiplied and, and love is always individualized. The relationship you have with people is always individualized. Like I don't, I don't, I don't love my family. I, I love them all. And I can't love my family without an individual love response and reaction to each and every one of them. Write that down. It gave him great 
pleasure. So for real, this is a real plan, and this is a real family that God's put us in. As the brothers and sisters in the family, we don't always get along with each other, do we? Did you grow up in an actual family and brothers and sisters? But, but, the, but the shape of a family is not defined by the sibling and sibling relationships. The shape of a family is defined, defined by the parent. And God the Father loves, and this is a family of love because of the love that God brings to it. It's a real plan. It's a real family. There's real guarantees. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in this passage in a way that is quite unique in the epistles. He talks about the Holy Spirit in two ways. And the first one is he says that the Holy Spirit um, is uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Um, and it says that by giving us the Holy Spirit, God has identified us. Does everyone say identified? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's, a, it's, a, it's actually quite a complex word. Identify gets used in lots and lots of different sort of ways. Uh, in lots of the ways we use the word identify, it's used sort of psychologically. Like, you know, I, I, I identify with this, or I identify with the whales, or, I, you know, I identify as a, a man, woman, boy, child, or whatever our gender happens to be. I was talking with a couple of the teenagers in my world, Maddie, and then one of my nephews, um, and uh, my nephew being 14 is informing me that the UN now recognizes 39 genders, Right, because there's all I'm going to identify and self-identify, but you know, when it says identification here, it's um, it, it, it's the it's the idea of a mark, like fam, like a family trait. Do you know what I mean? So certain families, you know, they've they've got you know, uh, you know, our family and my grandfather's family, we've all got these sort of crazy little fingers, and everyone's sort of got a matching little finger. Uh, I have to hide it now. <laughs> Other people's family, you know, they've got d double crowns or, do you know what I mean? I'm trying not to think of anything too, <laughs> you know, personalized, yeah, like, the, you know, like Douglas family, the eyes too close together and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could be hilarious now. I've got, I've got a whole lot of ideas uh, for various ones. You're looking around the room like, wow. Yeah, anyhow. <laughs> but... You know how you've heard of, if you know if you've been around Christian circles, particularly if in the 1980s, you would have heard of the Mark of the Beast, six success the Mark. Or if you're a heavy metal fan, you've heard of the Mark of the Beast, right? But this is the Mark of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible before the Mark of the Beast. That God puts a mark on us. He identifies us. He marks us out as His own. And it's a family identification, and it's a mark that says in all of heaven and earth, we carry wherever we go, the environment that we step into, we carry an instantly identifiable. There's features about us that identify us as the children of God. When we go into an environment and work, we are identifiable. We're visible to the enemy. We are visible to the principalities and powers of the earth. We're visible to our co-workers. We're identified as the children of God. Not because we've got a Jesus sticker on our car. In fact, sometimes that makes it hard for people to see God. But the reality is that because God's at work in us, because the Holy Spirit on us isn't about a good feeling. It feels good, but it's not about a good feeling. Right? And now, probably no one in church has ever tried to make it like that, but our Western culture is so much about good feeling. Some of the thinking creeps over. But the Holy Spirit's work in our life is about two things, fruit and gifts. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, maybe one other, are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the prophetic voice, the word of knowledge, encouragement. These are the motivations of God that come out of us as well. These two things identify us as the children of God, the fruit of God growing in us, shaping us and changing us, and the power of God that actually we can change situations with the gift of healing. We can change situations for people with the gift of prophecy. You can say things by accident that change people's lives because of the gift of the Holy Spirit's upon you. And that's what identifies you as the children of God. So the Holy Spirit in this passage is referred to as this mark. The presence of God in our life marks us and identifies us. And secondly, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, this growing fruit. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is He doesn't just do gifts, because a gift just arrives, eh? So I have a preaching gift. There it is. People ask me all the time, how long did it take you to learn how to preach? Well, it took as long as it took for someone to say, hey, why didn't you preach? And I just preached. It takes a long time to get the words right, to avoid swearing, to come up with better jokes than the ones I've used this morning. That sort of thing takes a lot of time. But a gift is just a gift. When Emma, when Emma leads worship... Her singing took probably a long time to development, but her ability to lift the atmosphere and draw people's attention to heaven, she's just always been able to do that. She was able to do that when she played the saxophone, clarinet, some woodwind instrument somewhere. Uh, so she was able to, her gift was at work, and her gift, her gift to, to shift people's focus and draw them to a higher way of thinking, that's why she's a good psychologist, because of her gift. She, yeah, she had to work hard on all that, right? But gifts just arrive, but fruit grows. Love, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Now, all of us have got varying degrees of a bountiful harvest in those areas, right? But if all of us have got the potential for those things to grow and develop in our lives. Amen? I'm moving on to the next point of my sub-point in section A. The Holy Spirit is this identifying mark so the gifts of God and the fruit of God in our life identifies us. But when, when we see gifts at work in our life and when we see fruit developing in our life, it's also a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit identifies us, but this, the fruit growing in our life and the gifts at work in our life are guaranteeing something. And how do you know when you buy um, something at everyone's favorite shop, you get a money-back guarantee? right? You don't get a money-back guarantee with the gospel, sorry. We do keep a record of your tithes for tax purposes so that you can claim your tithes back, but it's not so you can get a money-back guarantee on your salvation. There's no money-back guarantee because it's not, God doesn't do guarantees like that. Because a money-back guarantee is based on the fact, hey, let's import a lot of crazy stuff from China, and let's sell it to New Zealanders. And then the New Zealanders are like, we don't want to buy that stuff because it looks dodgy. And then they say, well, buy it anyway because we'll just give you your money back when it breaks. And people like my dad are like, they, my dad's had a circular saw for the last 20 years, and it's just been, it's, he's never had one for more than a year. Because he just buys like a $12 circular saw. <laughs> destroys it like every good DIY person and take it back to the warehouse. This one's broken. Of course it's broken, sir. You were cutting bricks with it. The reality is that's not what God's doing because God's not assuming that it's not going to work. This is a proper guarantee like you get at Bosch or this is a guarantee like you get with your BMW that says if it breaks, 
We replace it with a brand new one because we're certain it's just never going to break. It's a guarantee, like a proper guarantee from the olden days when people built things right, right? It's actually not even that. The words, the Hebrew, the, the, um, the guarantee, the, the, the picture that Paul's trying to create is more like when you go to buy a house, right? So when you buy a house, you sign up a document, right? So you sign up a document. It's called a sales and purchase agreement. And you sign it, and you have to initial 27 pages, and you have to read it, please. You read it all as well, and then you have to get your dad to read it or your lawyer. Dads are cheaper, lawyers are more expensive, right? And you sign it up, right? Some of you might be better off to pay the money, depending on who your dad is, right? My children will be sending this to their lawyer or their granddad, right? But the reality is you sign it all up, and it's, when you sign it, you're committed, right? But how many people know you just still haven't really bought the house? Oh, it's all signed up. It's all signed up. It's all signed, it's all signed up. It's actually the thing that really, the, the, the moment where the deal is really sealed is where you give them about 20000 of your own dollars that you can't get back if you back out on the deal. It's a deposit. It's a guarantee. It says we've got this other, the numbers are all weird now, but we've got this other 100000 It's definitely coming your way when it all settles. It's all done, and the deal's done. And, you know, people, they pop the champagne when the deposit's in the bank. The Holy Spirit is the deposit of God. It's his sign. It's his hand that just says, no, everything I'm started in you, I'm going to finish. God's got this plan of, of redeveloping the section, of, of, of adding a new wing on your life, of, 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 of perhaps giving it a, a coat of paint, or even recladding the whole thing because it's pretty terrible, right? Putting a new roof on you, putting a new, a new heating system in your life. God's got this plan of completely developing it, and He starts by signing it up in the blood of Christ, and He puts a deposit in in the Holy Spirit, and we rejoice in the finished work of Jesus because the deposit is paid, because there's guarantees at work in our life. That's why we stand in worship, and we just go, for real? That's why when we're in a difficult moment, and we find ourselves responding better than normal. For real? We're, we're amazed because we're like, man, God's at work in my life. If God's at work in my life, I know He's never going to stop. In, in Philippians 1.6, he says that, the Bible says that He began this good work in us, and He's faithful to complete it. It says in actual, it actually says this, God began the good work within you. He'll continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That means a whole lot of great things. One of the things it means is that God's not finished. We don't, you don't have to turn up anywhere pretending to be the finished product. I think it's good. Uh, thanks, Laura. I appreciate the encouragement. You know, on Sunday, you don't, we, don't, we don't turn up at church pretending to be the finished product. I don't preach pretending like I'm the finished product. I don't have to pretend to be holier than you guys. I don't have to pretend to be more intelligent than you guys. Two reasons. It's, it's hard to convince people of things that are just clearly not true. But secondly, the, the Bible, we all know this, don't we? So we could, we could first of all give ourselves a break. Just tell yourself, give yourself a break. And we could also give everyone else a break. The real reason to give yourself a break is that it gives you the opportunity to give everyone else a break. 
And you know, if you find yourself judging other people really strongly, just be really careful. Because you destroy yourself internally when you do that. When, when I judge Alistair harshly, the biggest problem for that, if Alistair's in God, it has no impact on Alistair whatsoever. But what I do is I set up an internal standard in my own life that I can't live up to, and I'll be constantly failing that, and I destroy myself on the inside. Watch yourself in what you're thinking. Watch yourself in what you say. Watch that you're not judgmental, particularly about non-Christians. Don't be judgmental about them because there's really, what you're doing is you're setting up for yourself uh, as a hypocrite. And the thing about hypocrites is everyone hates hypocrites, particularly the hypocrite. And it's really hard to, it's really hard to live your life when you hate yourself. So don't judge other people. Think of, think of your own internal health. Don't judge other people. People can do whatever they want. The Bible says that they can do whatever they want. God, God makes the garden, puts Adam and Eve in it, and says, there you go. Do whatever you want. Don't eat that thing, don't eat that. But he didn't remove the, the wrong stuff. He just says, God, yeah, 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 whatever you want. Why? Because people can do whatever they want because God wants people to choose to love him. So let's not judge people. Uh, let's save ourselves the emotional pain. Good? Okay, now... Um, one of the things that I've found as a parent uh, challenging, and I don't know if you've found this as well, parents, or you, if you experience this dyma- dynamic in your family, um, you have to be careful as a parent what you say about, hey, on Friday, we could go to the movies. So you, you, if someone like me, and you think with your mouth, uh, hey, we've got to go to the movies, uh, Papa, we, let's go and play football. Like, anything you say, there's always little brains there grabbing it. Right? So you say something that's sort of an outlandish possibility, right? And like, oh no, dad said. And you hear them, you hear them threatening their mother. No, dad said I could stay up till midnight. Yeah, and maybe I said something like that, you know, one day, you know. But the thing is, the kids have got this amazing capacity to grab it, to believe it, to trust it. They just like, they just, it's, it's a, it's a, what was to you just a random idea? Oh, one day we should get an ice cream. It's like, we're getting an ice cream now, right now. Dad said so, right? And they, and they hold on to it with this amazing capacity. And I, I, it's power, like it's power. Have you know what I'm talking about? Some personalities more than others, right? Like, you can, I can chat with possibilities about possibilities with Elliot because he's a bit more flexible, right? But other, others of our children, you have to, I just have to say, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Oh, but as soon as I let out like a definite, like a, of a place or a time or a, something that could be edible, right, I better back it up or I'm not going to literally. Kids have got the ability to grab hold of it and believe it, and then they've also got this amazing ability to petition the promise, they really do. Like, they've got this amazing capacity, all right, to petition the promise. Now, the reason is this. They're convinced of a couple of things. Kids are convinced of a couple of things. Alistair, I'm going to need you grab a chair as well. Grab a chair. Alistair, you're going to be, um, let's imagine Alistair's a toddler. And uh, come over here, Alistair. If you go over there like that, face the audience there, and uh, you there, right? So now... This is, how, this is how it works, right? So let's, let's imagine Alistair's 18 months old. He's in his high chair, right? 
Now, what kids do in the high chair is you put food on plates, and then they, what they do is they like to smear it around, like to put it on themselves, right, that sort of thing. We should have actually got some food for this. A banana would have been awesome. Um, it's stains, though, yeah. But anyhow, whatever, it doesn't matter what you put there. At some point in the meal time or whatever, at some point in there, they'll just cry. They just cry, right? And because of our biological programming, we just can't handle it, right? The crying is, is twisting my insides, right? And so they just cry, right? And so what the parent does, the parent disappears from the view of the child into the pantry and then appears with raisins. And the child cries. And they disappear from the side of the child. And then they just appear magically with a banana. And the child cries. And they disappear and they come back magically with a yogurt. And the yogurt goes flying and the child cries. And they disappear. The raisins didn't work. But I've got some sultanas. No, I've got some currants. No, I've got some dried apricots. I've got every type of dried fruit in the world. And the child is still crying. Right? And the parent goes on and on and on. And at some point the child stops crying irrelevant to what the parent was doing, but what the parent has proved to the child is that the parent has got this magical power. This parent has got this unexplainable ability to just produce things. Like just like, wow, where'd that come from? Another type of food I've never seen before. Another, wow, you know, the parent's got this unbelievable power. The parent can move the child from one place to another and the child doesn't even know what happened. Right? Kids are convinced of the supernatural power of their parents. They've got no idea when they're little. They've got no idea that the parent has any limitations at all. Imagine someone who could come in here and just pick you up and swing you around. <laughs> like, wow! If you can't imagine that, just meet Putty after service. Right, the... Imagine someone, who, imagine someone who drives a vehicle like a hundred times the size of you. Right? This is what we're talking about, right? Grab a seat, Alistair. Parents have got this amazing power, right? The other thing kids are convinced of is kids are convinced that parents love them. They're convinced. How many people know I'm not talking about teenagers now? <laughs> Girls just don't laugh too much. You've got your parents right there. <laughs> but at some point, growing up, something will happen. Something happens really on the inside of a kid. It's got nothing to do with really the family environment. But they start to question. They become more and more aware of the limitations their parents have. Oh, we can't do that. We're out of money till payday. The two-year-old doesn't know about payday. <laughs> What you're asking is humanly impossible. It becomes, we become more and more aware of our parents' limitations. We become more and more unsure of their love. Because we live with our own inconsistency as adults now, because we're up and down in our view of the world and our view of other people, because we're so powerfully aware of our limitations, I wonder if we struggle to develop faith. Jesus said, unless you're born again, he said, unless you become like a little child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you'll never enter it. 
I wonder if being born again has got less to do with about a clean slate and being washed clean and more to do with a renewed, a renewed wonder in our limitless parent. This parent in heaven who disappears from view and appears again with just what we needed when we cry. This God who hears our cry and whose ear is attentive to our prayer. That's what the psalm says. He hears our cry. His ear is attentive to our prayer. He's this God in heaven who listens to our petition. The promises of God are guaranteed. The work He's begun in you is guaranteed. And He's not like me. He's not limited by time, by finance, in power. He's not limited in any other way. We're pretty smooth, honestly. like getting you up to do the show and then straight into a bit of music background. It's, a, it's quite a show we're putting on here. Abraham is the father of faith. He's the father of faith. And if you read the story of Abraham, he's just awesome. If you want the condensed version, read it in Hebrews chapter 11. He believed God and left his culture and traveled across the wilderness at a time in history where there's very little civilization. Once you left the Mesopotamia where he was and there wasn't much else, it's a long way, it's a long way to the Indus Valley. It's a long way to Egypt. And he's just like, whoa, in between. He lives as, you know, as a stranger and a pilgrim. Uh, and God gives him this promise. And then at 100 years old, he's going to be a parent. And he still believes. He just holds on and believes. Because he's convinced, sorry, he's convinced. He's convinced that God's so powerful, God's infinitely powerful. He's convinced that God loves him. So God will do what he promised. And the, the climax of the whole Abraham story, really the the whole the picture of faith, the most profound, is the moment where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. This promise that he'd been waiting for. God then calls him to sacrifice. And the commentary on Abraham, written by the writer of Hebrews, is deeply instructing. It says this, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 17, Abraham, when he was going to sacrifice his son, now God stopped him because God wouldn't ask him to do that, right? But God stopped him in the moment. But as he was going to sacrifice this promise, it says this, Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Now what on earth was that assumption based upon? Is this a time in history where people keep coming back to life all the time? It's not based on his experience. I'm sure that every single person Abraham had ever seen die had stayed dead. Just like friends that you know who tried to get a job still don't have a job. Friends that you know who tried to buy a house still haven't bought a house. Friends that you know tried to find a husband, tried to find a wife, but still haven't, right? Every single experience and circumstance around you says no, but Abraham's got this yes. Well, if, I, if Isaac dies, he'll just rise again. He didn't just think it. He didn't speak it out as a faith confession. He assumed it. Assumption means you operate unthinkingly in that reality. He assumed unthinkingly, unquestioningly, God had promised him the son. God had promised that his, his the inheritance would be brought through the son. He knew that whatever happened to Isaac, the promise remained. So if Isaac died, then Isaac would rise again because this God is infinite, this God of all power, this God who loves us. This. If there's one thing we've got to get for real, and this series is called For Real.
If there's one thing we're going to get for real, it's got to be faith. It's got to be real faith. Like, a, like real faith. Not like imaginary faith. Not like the, the you know, like, not, not like a fairy godmother faith that one day everything will be, I'll be tinkerbelled and I'll win lotto. And all my troubles will seem so far away. But real faith. The, the, this passage that I read has got two key words. The first word is in um, verse 3. And the, the second key word is in verse 14. The first word is has. Everyone say has. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Everyone say has. He has blessed us. The end of the passage in verse 14, it says that He will give us everything He's promised. We've got to figure out a way to live between the has of His blessing and the will do of His giving. We've got to find a way to live comfortably and confidently in faith, knowing that He has done everything He needs to do. He has blessed us in spirit. He's blessed us in heaven. He's blessed us with the Son. He's blessed us with forgiveness. He's done everything He can do for us. And that as we journey from that position through the struggles and the difficulties of life, the things that God puts in our world to challenge us and grow us, we go from a place of God has blessed me and we're going to a place where God will finally release to me all of that which He has promised. That's called faith. That's called Christianity. It's between the has of God's blessing and the has of His promise and the will do of His final completed work uh, when we find Him, when we see Him face to face. Some questions for you. Is that all right? Have you forgotten that God is unlimited? Have you forgotten that He loves you? Has God been slow to answer your prayers? To the point where you don't pray the prayers anymore. You don't pray prayers anymore because you're not convinced like a three-year-old is convinced. If you say to a three-year-old that they'll get a lolly on Tuesday afternoon... Whatever time of the week it is until Tuesday afternoon, you're going to hear about that lolly. <laughs> That's why you don't say to a three-year-old, I'm going to give you a lolly in two and a half weeks. <laughs> Come on, God's promised. He's promised. Come on, what's He promised? He's promised to fulfill the, the potential He's put in you. He's promised to finish His work in you. He's promised to set you free from sin and death. He's promised to heal you from the effects of living in a broken world. He's promised to, to position you for His favor. He's promised to open up for you a plan, a life that's full of purpose, a life that's full of meaning. Has it, has it fully happened yet? I hope not. Because I enjoy your company. I hope that you're still here on earth, pressing in to find the promise, pressing in to engage with purpose, pressing in to see God move. 
Because if God's finished His work, then you're finished here, right? So much of the things that discourage us should encourage us. Oh, we're not there yet. That's good. Isn't it? Isn't it good that we're still not completely finished and perfect and holy? I think it's good. Because if we're completely finished and perfect and holy, then we're in heaven with Jesus. And who's reaching Wellington? Come on, God's got a plan for us here and He wants to show His glory in us. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Let me pray for you. He's a God who's unlimited. He's a God who loves you. He's a God with a plan, a real plan to adopt you into His real family. He's really guaranteeing it. He's really bringing it to completion. Holy Spirit, I just thank You that You're our teacher. You're our counsellor. You're our God. I thank You, Holy Spirit, that You're our pastor that you lead us into truth. You lead us into a full and a real experience of the love of God. Lord, I pray today that you'd speak to each and every one of us, that every single person in this room, Lord, we even pray, Lord, in the kids' programs, Lord God, and in, in, in people outside of the room, Lord, looking after the kids or getting ready for morning tea. Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Would you open our minds? as Even the... The apostle goes on to pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may see the hope that you've called us to, the glorious and unlimited riches of your plan. Lord God, would you reveal it, Lord God? We can't understand it. We can't grasp it. We can't even think about it, Lord God. But would you reveal it by your Spirit, Lord God? Because we are in Christ, we are your own children, adopted into your family, adopted into the beloved. Lord God, pour it out upon us, we pray. Why don't we stand to our feet? Is that all right? I just want you to lift your hands and open your heart to the Holy Spirit. I really believe right now that God's wanting to bring, bring us on a journey. He's wanting to bring us on a journey where we become again, we become again to be convinced, convinced of His unlimited power, convinced of His love. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to begin to imagine what needs to happen this week. What needs to happen this week in your world? What needs to happen this week in your life for God to prove Himself to you? Come on, it might even be that something just needs to happen in your heart right now. I believe that God wants to work in your heart right now in a way that you go out of those doors in about five minutes' time, again convinced that He loves you. Just lift your hands as the band is playing. Why don't you begin to pray your own prayer? Just pray a prayer like this. Holy Spirit, work in my world. 